Welcome to MMM's first podcast of 2022. I hope that the new year sees you and yours in good health. Holiday breaks provide time not only for rest and relaxation, they also offer a chance to take a breath and gain perspective. Because we're still in that retrospective state of mind, we're kicking things off this year with a very special guest, David Chapman, whose career in healthcare advertising spans more than three decades. I know you'll enjoy hearing David's perspectives on his 30 years in medical marketing, standout campaigns and anecdotes, and some parting advice for ad execs thrown in. Hey, David. Hey, how you doing, Mark? Good to see you. I'm well, thanks. Uh, I'm not sure it's uh, exactly our retrospective state of mind or because there's so much uncertainty these days that it's comforting to, to look back, but I'm thrilled to have you on the program. Welcome. Oh, my pleasure. Really happy to be here. Thanks for asking me. Absolutely. You know, you just retired after a long and illustrious career, largely with the Ogilvy organization, which of course is part of WPP. Uh, you started out as a creative director with KPR, then you moved to Thomas J. Ferguson, which later became Common Health and rose up uh, to the role of managing partner, which you held for many years. First off, I just wanted to ask you uh, how the retirement celebration was. I know that just took place a couple of days ago. And after such a long and illustrious career, why now? (laughs) Well, it's uh, all two days of it, basically, uh, of of being retired is uh, going quite well so far. You know, it was was not a really hard decision. I'd been at the Ogilvy part of the organization, the WPP side, for almost 29 years with one agency. And I'd seen it, you know, grow and change and and get hurt and get better. And I think um, it was, you know, really at a point where it's going to just take off again. Everything looks good. And I was feeling confident. And I turned 67. And I said to myself, I, I, I worked from the day I got out of school from 46 years straight without, a, without, a, without missing a bit a paycheck. And, and um, it just felt like it was a lot. But but underlying that is that, you know, if you don't make room at the top, quote unquote, then you're not going to be able to bring more people into the organization. You need to change. Agencies need to change. You know, if they don't, the world passes them by. And although you need to strike a balance between the, the corporate historians and the mavericks coming in to try new ways, I don't think it's all one or all the other. I do think you need to go and wait it a little bit more towards the mavericks that are going to try new things and, you know, look for change and bring new ideas and make an agency stay, you know, vibrant, not young and vibrant, but vibrant. And um, I felt like it was time for the agency to have that opportunity to, to see, you know, what they would do and how they would rearrange themselves and how they would approach the business in the next you know, coming years. And I, I think we're on, a, you know, we're on us. It'll be a long time since I stopped saying we, my agency, the company. But um, uh, I think that we're on a really great, you know, great track. So it was time. It was just the right time for me. Sure. Happy. Great that you could go out on, on, on your own terms, so to speak. And, uh, you know, speaking of being a maverick and, and being a catalyst for change, you, you did a lot of that during your tenure there. Uh, so I wanted to, to jump into that a little bit, you know, starting, I wanted to ask you about your early period at KPR and Ferguson, and I thought I'd do it through the, the lens of this year's Medical Advertising Hall of Fame nominee, Stacey Singer, who happened to start her career at mm-hmm. Thomas Ferguson Associates, and she was also a managing partner. Did you two work together? Absolutely. Absolutely. We were there at the same time, growing up at the same time, making common health at the same time. And, and, Kind of when when the road forked, it was really that uh, as we were both 
significant and key players in the WPP consolidation offering. One of the very first offerings like that, and one of the very first successful ones was um, for Johnson & Johnson, for Janssen at that point in time was Johnson & Johnson and all the ortho companies. And um, Stacy went on to lead that entity for WPP. So that was, that was when we kind of split, but it was, um, I think I tried to count it out the other day. It was four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I've worked with, directly with or for, nine Hall of Fame members. So that's, wow. I, I think that's a pretty, pretty high level because all of the KPR guys and um, one of my compatriots from the creative department is getting inducted this year uh, with Maris Hockman. So let's see, that was Clear, Phillips, Ross, Norm Cooper, Maris, uh, Fergie, Tom, uh, Tom himself, then Phil Brady, uh, Bob Laverde, Stacy. That's nine. Hmm. Nine Hall of Fame. I, I've seen some of the greatest leaders in this business really teach everyone how to build a business, how to run an agency, how to really understand what the client's needs are in order to you know, satisfy the never-ending push because it's a service business. And we deliver an incredible amount of value. Mm-hmm. And, um, and what we do is, you know, very different than other agencies, other writers, other creators, other thinkers in healthcare. And if the importance of accurate information during a medical pandemic hasn't come to the front in the last two years, I don't know what's left for us to attract people to want to be in our business versus selling Tropicana or some junk like that. Great, great point. Um, you know, we should also mention that you've been on the Medical Advertising Hall of Fame board since 2004, I believe. And yeah. just to put a little plug in, um, you know, <laughs> Stacy will be joined on the honorary podium by the 2021 MOF uh, inductees. Um, sadly, Morris uh, Schilling will not be among them. As, yeah. uh, unfortunately, we lost her in 2020. Risa Bernstein and Ron Suze, I believe, will be there. Yeah. And uh, you can register for that February 10th dinner, uh, which hopefully will go on as planned. Um, uh, it's scheduled as such, but um, at uh, <laughs> moff.com slash gala. So um, you, you've lived through some some massive reorgs, you know, with Ogilvy. You mentioned the Common Health merging with Ogilvy back in the day. Uh, you know, there was John Seifert's one Ogilvy brand and business <laughs> transformation. Um, and most recently, Andy Main's effort, you know, to unite Ogilvy under under his mm-hmm. vision, all tried to sort of bring health closer to and more in line with the mainstream ad business. Why do you think that's been so challenging uh, to do over the years? I think that big agencies, when they have a large consumer presence, they're always looking at the healthcare side and wondering, why do we do the things we do? And they have a hard time sometimes seeing what our regulations are, you know, what do we need to do to talk to people, uh, both doctors and patients, the difference in the kind of consumer work that needs to be done. And I think that it's taken a number of years for the big agencies and the creative agencies to come around to realize they could be part of helping us change that and making it much more creative and, and um, relevant to our customers than the kind of formulaic stuff that came out in the first, you know, 15 years of being allowed to do DTC. And, you know, it's, as usual, it's follow the money. So as the size and shape of healthcare became just one of the, what is it, the second or the third largest expenditure in promotion? 
um, you know, when, when that started to come through as, as a reason to be more effective, then I think the agencies now are starting to realize we must be involved. And the healthcare divisions that they have are far more integrated today. At least I can say that for WPP. They're far more integrated today than they were even in five years ago. So by creating Ogilvy, one Ogilvy, and it's really kind of the same thing with Andy. Um, it's, you know, and then you can, you can look at VML YNR now that, you know, they have the healthcare group or Wonderman, uh, you know, having their, the healthcare group inside of them. They're really finally put us in as opposed to a highly decentralized silo, which is what we were moving towards it back into the, you know, kind of like the, the, the cradle of creativity. And I always believe in this is, I know one of the things we talked about right before we got started was the pandemic and how has it affected things. Uh, I, you know, really was always a big fan of, of, of co-location for the teams. I thought people meeting people was a good thing. I said, you know, if you put everybody in one space, there's friction. Friction causes heat, heat has light, and that this is the way that brainstorming ideas, transfer of knowledge. Um, I think we've done an amazing job at moving that into a digital and virtual world, you know, all of us. But I still think that in the end, it's going to be one of the more interesting transitions for advertising, which is we used to say, oh, it's a team sport. And yeah, I can get the whole team on Zoom. But I do think that, you know, one of the changes that we'll have to deal with if we don't get back to normalcy. Um, one of the deals, one of the things we'll have to deal with is the, that change of camaraderie, connectedness, uh, you know, change. So, so by putting the, the healthcare agencies much closer into their, their big consumer parent is, I think, a really good move. And it's really funny because you see how things go in cycles, you know. There was a publicist kind of aggregation 10 years ago, 12 years ago, and then it kind of broke back apart. Then WPP was doing an aggregation, and now it's gone back apart. And yet now we hear that, uh, who is it, Omnicom, I think is going back to the other way. They're going to they're gonna bring everybody back together and create one unit. So it, it really has to do with figuring out the best ways that your clients can understand the benefits of your structure, the way that clients can understand the way that you've obtained your costs and rates. So, you know, sometimes the right thing to do is to be highly decentralized. <laughs> and sometimes the thing to do is to, you know, be a, a one-stop shop offering. Something. So we'll see how the we'll see how the 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 clock turns this next you know year or so. If people are gonna want smaller, boutique-like. Uh, you know, customized, or are they going to say this in order to be efficient? We, you know, no one's going out anymore. Reps aren't seeing doctors now. We have to be completely different thinkers than we ever were before. Mm -hmm. So that that's some of my screed there. Sure, we'll we'll see the way the, the clock turns, as you say. Mm -hmm. um, healthcare marketing offers an opportunity to impact practitioners and patients. What do you consider your biggest contribution? You know, it's, um, I'd like to say that some of the work that I did earlier in my career was very important, I thought. Um, when we ran, um, when I was at KPR, um, KPR had the entire um, female health franchise from Ortho, Ortho Novum. 
And, you know, you got to remember that that birth control was once very controversial. You know, what are you going to talk about? How are you going to show it? Uh, you know, making sure everyone had a wedding ring on that was always a couple in our advertising. Um, and, and yet it was something that we all felt very passionate about. The, the idea was that this was far more than a drug. This was the only thing you took every day when you were well. And um, uh, all the team that worked on it were very committed. And I think we did a really great job at, you know, trying to um, make sure that as many people as possible understood that this was a wonderful, safe, proven alternative in both consumer and to the physicians. And, and you know, by the time we were at Ferguson, you know, years later, certainly one of the things I'll always bring up will be Claritin or, or Procrit. Both of those were really game changers um, for a lot of the industry. Um, no one ever thought we'd be able to make the kind of brand out of Procrit that it was. It had like a really weird indication. And yet it was something that eventually became the first oncological support product ever for DTC. Mm -hmm. And I think Claritin, you know, kind of speaks for itself. Everybody knows it to the point of being a cliche. I think to this day, clients have a hard time. If you have a big blue sky with puffy white clouds, they'll look at it and say, uh, we can't use that. That's Claritin branding. Yeah, well, that's right. Here we are 20 whatever years later. And all, all of the consumer work and packaging still uses the same imagery, still has the same brand essence. So I think that that was some pretty cool work that, that I can say I was directly responsible uh, or, or at least a good part of the team Every time they did something, I was part of the team. Anytime something cool happened, and I was loving it. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, that was that's fun. certainly a, a seminal campaign um, and one that people are still uh, citing to this day. And it, it is interesting, as you say, that it has had that kind of impact on um, creative that, you know, we, we don't want to use the, the, the people uh, running along the beach and, you know, uh, through, through, the, through the fields, uh, which is allergy territory. And, and, yeah, it is all, and, and, you know, it's great to say that we did that, but, you know, our industry was very good at that. There's a purple pill. Not a lot of other people want to be a purple. There's a little blue pill. Not a lot of people want to be another little blue pill. So branding ourselves, branding the colors, it's something that I think we do incredibly well in, in pharma. So, you know, that, that, that we'll see where things go. It's, everything is going to be so virtual that I think we have to move on to thinking about branding in any sort of 2D opportunity. Branding is going to have to be 3D in the metaverse from now on. Yeah. And then people uh, actually recently, somebody I was talking about uh, to a branding expert and they were saying how, how they were very impressed with the name Claritin as a drug name, you know, because it really mm -hmm. says what it does. And there have been uh, relatively few of those throughout the years, especially as the number of name, the pool of names shrinks uh, and we see more consonant clusters and, and X's and, and X's, Z's yeah. uh, in, in, in brand, well, it's, brand it's, names. You know, and, and everything was different, again, different to the different times. I worked on the launch of a product for J&J &J that eventually was Renova. It was uh, the Retin-A version of a skin cream, right? Except that what we filed was with the name Renova with a U. And, and eventually the feds came back and said, no, that's a claim. That's a claim. You can't say it makes anything new. Change the name. So we were pretty happy when Claritin Clear um, made it through without any question. Hmm. It was, it was uh, 
In fact, I think that we actually had the second name done for when we were going to replace it. And we had Clara Nex. Mm-hmm. They had a short yes. life and then everything went generic. Uh-huh, uh-huh. That was the follow-on. And then okay. Yeah, that was our follow-on. Okay. Clara Nex. Did you have a backup name for Clara and just in case it didn't go through? You know, there were, and someplace in my files, I might actually have a, a list of the things under consideration. Or, you know, we remember how we always used to do market research with dummy names in there. And, you know, so, so someplace I might have that, but I'm not going to go look for it. I can tell you right now. Okay. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> we'll make you go to st- uh, the storage uh, unit. Yeah, right. It's, it's, okay. it's, it's on a floppy disk the size of an LP. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'll make you fire up the, uh, the, the floppy drive. Um, yeah. You know, Talk about the, the the pace of change in healthcare marketing um, and, and the healthcare ad industry's ability to keep up with it. Do you, do you think that um, it's, it's getting better at keeping up with the pace of change? Um, that's a that's a great question, Mark. It really is. I, I just don't I just don't know. I, I mean, we all we used to say whether it was just apocryphal or what. We all used to say that it took like about five years for a really great new marketing technique to start to percolate through pharmaceutical marketing. Um, you know, everything from, you know, targeting physicians. I mean, we can go back to when we'd say we should have mailer number one, literally in the mail, mailer number one, say this, mailer number two, say this, mailer number three says this, and it brings you along a chain. And the clients would say, no, nah, just three mailings, say the same thing all the time. That's the best way. And we say, well, you know, didn't you ever like order something for a kid from L.L. Bean? And the very next thing you got was an L.L. Bean kids catalog. Don't you want to do that? You know, no, we don't want to do that. Well, here we are, you know, 25 years later. And the amount of, of customized messaging and targeting is better by, you know, now it's, it's absolute. No one would ever let you say, oh, don't worry. Let everyone see the same exact message all the time. No one would ever say that. And yet, I think, again, you know, where consumer work is at between, you know, Twitter, if you look at Twitter or if you're on Instagram or any looking at those things where all you have to do is stare at something for more than three seconds and you're going to see another 5,000 videos on the same topic. So I, my, my feeling is that there's probably still some good transition of the latest in the way of programmatic or other types of aimed, you know, thoughtful communications that is happening in the consumer world that we just not have translated over yet. Um, I think we have all the tools to do that. I think we have all of the analytics to make sure that it's effective and that it's efficient. I just don't see our marketers coming around to, to looking for that in very small audiences, less doctors that you can call on. And yet that to me makes it more important, not less important. To be targeted like that, mm-hmm. and there there are some good programs. Um, you know, I know programs that we were running um, that uh, were based, you know, were account based marketing or were uh, EHR uh, communications, and those are those are really close to where I think we could be. But I'm sure, I'm just sure that if we were really getting the 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 state of the art targeting and communications technologies from consumer that we could probably be even better than we are now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that's what we've always felt is those technologies take a little longer to percolate down to the pharma agencies or out to the pharma clients. I'm still not sure which. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so so you like targeting your your believer in, in programmatic, you know, which is it's big now. It's growing by leaps and bounds. Connected TV, yeah. which offers you know very targeted um, advertising mm-hmm. reach and, and and programmatic buying as well. Yeah, but that that's that's a great sort of jumping off point to something else I wanted to ask you in terms of what was there one thing that you hadn't seen in the business, you know, prior to you know stepping away that that you that you wish you had seen in terms of progress. You know, I, I think that the, the kind of solution for the live rep in the doctor's office has still not been effectively discovered. And that the, you know, old equations of, you know, reach and frequency, how many, how many reps times how many doctors times how many visits times how many scripts is just not going to be valid in, in, if it is valid at all right now. And I yet, I don't think I've heard anything that makes me feel like the industry has said, here's what we're going to be doing. This is the new way we're going to approach um, keeping our base of physicians as knowledgeable as possible about our brands. And, and I'm not sure I've, I've heard that. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm kind of getting that uh, throw, the, throw the spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks feeling. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, now that with, with the pandemic entering year three, and, and as the recovery from COVID-19 proceeds and fits and starts, it's been quite challenging for agencies to say the least. With the mantra of never let a good crisis go to waste, what do you think the advertising industry learned from this challenge that perhaps wasn't possible pre-pandemic? Well, um, I, I think what we learned was that physical location is not all that important and that you know you can do virtually everything. You can get a team together. You can put together a great pitch. You can win fantastic business. You can lose on a Zoom call as well. But I I think what we learned was some of the demands that were put on, you know, like I want somebody to be at the client three times a week. You know, I I was looking at some old stuff. You know, we were looking at kind of um, account executive training materials at one point last couple months. And um, when I was looking at that, it, they, they hadn't been updated in a while. So there's stuff like, you know, get yourself a badge, make sure that you can get through security, ask if you can, you know, be on their intranet, see if you can get a company directory. You know, we, if we sound, found one in a conference room, we often somehow found it in our briefcases when we got home in the old, old days, because what could be better than having a, a, a directory for everyone at BMS or J&J or wherever we were? But, um, you know, now that's that's not the counsel that I would be giving uh, an account person. I'm not quite sure, you know, what they're thinking. You know, we're going to have a, f- a phone call and a Zoom three times a week. It's it's uh, it's it's totally different. And, you know, it's kind of the flip side of that coin we were just talking about. What hasn't changed? You know, what will have to change? So I haven't heard anybody saying to me, here's, here's the plan if we're always going to be more remote. Here's the plan if we're... You know, we're never going to be flying back and forth to the client like in Chicago three times a week or like the stuff we used to do. So, you know, there, there has to be there has to be some kind of ideas there about what's the best way to work with our clients post the pandemic. Sure. And uh, pandemic's impact on the creative, good or bad? Uh, you know, I, I think that it's it's. Um, I'll tell a different story. Uh, well, once upon a time, you, you remember we used to get a ton of mail 
I'm just going to go back to the mail thing at the agencies from people who were selling um, uh, artists, reps, and photographers, right? I, I was convinced at one point that a beautiful mailing had come in from one of the photography places of a monarch butterfly. It was gorgeous. And yet, over the next three months, three major brands came out with monarch butterflies as their symbol. And I was always convinced that it was like it hit all the art directors at the same time. Everyone like, like oh, I know for Rhinocourt, we'll put one on the rhinoceros's horn and it'll be gentle but strong. Yeah, great. I know for Ultram, we're going to put a monarch butterfly because it's, it's strong, but it's gentle. You know, I know we're going to put a butterfly for Prozac because, you know, it's going to make you feel light and better. And suddenly you had three campaigns, three different categories, three different drug categories, but all of them using a monarch butterfly as its main key graphic. And there might have been even a, another one or two in there that I've forgotten. You know, with, without the, the creative process tends to go to the same place. You know how like they suddenly there's a whole bunch of Princess Diana stuff. So there's going to be a ton of COVID stuff. <laughs> you know, everybody's, you know, they, they were even calling it a, a couple months ago, right? They were calling it like the COVID piano commercials. Everything came on with a, a light little piano tinkle. Now, more than ever, we need to be with the people we love. It's like, okay, every single commercial is going to flip over that way. And, you know, I, I, I think that that's right now probably what we're going to be looking at as a driver of the creative process for, you know, the next year or so. You know, how many pictures without masks? How many pictures with masks? There's, there's, you know, you know, for the people who have lost someone, for the immunosuppressed, for the mm -hmm. all of these different ways that I think the pandemic's going to come back and and be played out for us in the consumer world. You know, you, you see it now to some degree, um, and then how it will come down into pharma. You know, all of us, all of the stay-at-home parent commercials that are on right now. And as someone who's been staying at home, <laughs> I've seen plenty of them. Like, you know, I guess it's, it's, I guess I, by now I figured out the foods in the refrigerator. Thanks commercial. <laughs> right. Yeah. That, that'll be influencing uh, the creative process for years. I think so. so. So David, you know, just, can you give some advice, you know, for uh, executives? Uh, how, how do you resign a client? Well, you know, it's, it is one of the hardest things that I've ever seen, but I was in a room when um, the guy that was my boss at that time was Phil Brady, and I saw him do it uh, as I sat there. And it was, um, you know, we, we had a client that we were doing really well with, and then they had a big change in the marketing group and the, and the senior management, and suddenly we couldn't do anything right. And we were trying to get ready for the launch of this product. And we were going through the deaths of a thousand cuts that we were up to the, you know, hundredth concept that had been rejected. We were on the, you know, fifth account person who was not up to snuff. And in, in the end, we realized that virtually nothing we could do and it would make the client extremely angry, but there was nothing we could do that was going to help them at all. We thought they were going to fire us at any minute. And the next you know, day or two, we get a call to uh, come down to see them like Thursday morning at 9 a.m. And we're going, OK, this this is it. We're going to go there and, and get fired. And we walk into the room at nine o'clock and there's the senior executives and marketing people. And Phil says, uh, wait, 
excuse me, before you get started. And he reaches into his pocket, pulls out an envelope. He says, we're resigning your business. And they went, they were flustered. They, you know, they wanted to give us all the things we did wrong. They wanted to yell at us and then fire us. And he just completely took that out of their hands. And they were like, but, 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 but. And he said, no, we can see you're unhappy. It's a great product. You know, you should launch it with someone that you're going to believe in. But we're not going to, we're not going to be your agency. We'll do everything for a smooth transition. And I know there have been many experiences over the years, but uh, tell me one that stands out in your mind. I'll tell you one was, um, we, you know, in, we used to go with the clients um, to the major medical um, college meetings and conventions. One of the ones that I attended a lot was, because uh, we were working on the business at KPR, was the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology. And then around uh, 86 was the 25th anniversary of the pill, and they wanted to do a really big blowout. And um, it turned out that that year, the uh, ACOG meeting was in Las Vegas. And so we all go fly to the agency folk. We all go fly to Las Vegas to be with our clients, to, you know, see the booths, to help them out, to take them to dinner, to have the kind of fun you used to have when you would go to those meetings. And um, at the meeting and they go, oh, we need you to do us a favor. I'm like, what's that? They go, um, we have a special guest and we need someone who's going to get her from the hotel to this um, special event. So I'm like, sure, you know, whatever, I'll do that. And they go, okay, great, it's Dr. Ruth. And I'm like, what? And it's like, Dr. Ruth. And I, so I go with the PR team and they introduced me to Dr. Ruth. And, and my job was to get, you know, Squire Dr. Ruth, and, which is basically got in a limo and went from one hotel to this other hotel where um, the, the entertainment for tonight, the night was, Bob Hope, live on stage. Hmm. I mean, he was ancient, but it was Bob <laughs> Hope, live on stage. So I'm there watching Bob Hope sitting next to Dr. Ruth. I, I, I thought that was, that's a pretty weird experience. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully she didn't offer you any unsolicited advice. Uh, on the uh, you know, it's, 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 it was a lot of good times. That's all I can say. Yeah, that's great. All right. So, so not to be cutesy, but what's, what's your post-pandemic plan? You know, what, what do you have planned now? Personal. Well, it's yeah, no, no. It's thank you for asking. Um, you know, I, I to be honest, I, I I have don't really have a plan, and that's the plan. I, I talked to a whole bunch of my friends and people that I grew up with. Everybody my age, people that are retired, and they all fell out fifty fifty. Half of my friends said, if you don't have a plan and something to do, you're going to go out of your mind in a couple of months. And my other friend said, don't even bother to write down a plan because life is going to happen to you and you'll just go the way it goes. Both of those are okay with me. I would like to be able to give back, um, you know, see a good organization that uh, I could volunteer with. I know that there's a number in the city that um, hook up um, retired marketing people with startups. And I'm very interested in seeing if I could do that. Um, I'm interested in, I live directly across from the, uh, borough of Manhattan community college. And I was going to see, you know, what sort of curriculum do they have in advertising, copywriting, uh, pharmaceutical marketing and see if that would be kind of fun. That would be kind of cool. You know, go, go teach something crazy like that. And I, I still have my presentations from, uh, the, uh, HMC or the PAC on, you know, how to evaluate the creative product or, how to determine strategy objectives and positioning. So I wonder how that would be to kind of teach would be maybe, maybe, maybe that would be fun.
So stuff like that is, and you know, my family is all in New York for now. My wife is still working for the next six or seven years. And um, I have a lot to, you know, I love the city. I'm from the city. I grew up here and I'm happy to be home. Even if it's limping along, it's not the first time I've seen it limping along. And um, if you grew up where I did way out in the boonies of Brooklyn and sheep said, Hey man, nobody ever came there from Manhattan. No, no politician ever walked the streets there to say what it looked like. So Manhattan always looked better than where I came from. You know, it's, so, right, you um, made so it. I'm, you made it across the river, right? That's that's the big. Huh? You made it. You made it across the river. That's that's the big time. Yeah, that right? was, you know, to, like Saturday Night Fever. You know, we could literally stand on my front porch and see the Empire State Building. It was like you know, thirty miles away. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, so so that's it. And and you know, a lot of people. I'll, I'll be honest. A lot of people have said to me, "Well, you know, now that you're out, um, I'm going to follow up with you. We'll see if any of that comes true." <laughs> All right. Well, uh, you've always been a, a trailblazer. And uh, again, good to see you're conducting things on your own terms. And uh, I want to thank you again for joining us. I really enjoyed the discussion. Absolutely.